0: The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.
1: You'll have to forgive me. My son came down with Metz disease. 51,000
0: plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch, here it
1: is. Swung, fly ball deep left center. him on the run. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah, 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 yeah. The Atlanta Braves yeah. have given you a championship. 25 lighters on my dresser, yes, sir. You know i got to get paid
0: center, and the Bribes have won it! 25 lighters on my dressin', yes sir, you know I gots to get paid, swing and drive, not too welcome to the show! 25 lighters for my
1: 25 folks. Now get ready! This is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Platinum Sombrero, brought to you by Sports Drink on our fancy new website and our friends at Spotify Greenroom, formerly Locker Room. You guys have heard us talking about them for months now. Spotify Greenroom is a really cool audio-only app that's kind of changing the name of the game, where you can get involved and you can talk to fans of your favorite team or sport from all across the nation in real time. All you got to do is download the app on iOS or Android. It's free to download. Just make your little page, link your Twitter or whatever. Find your favorite shows, people, whatever, Liking it so that way whenever they make a room you can be notified when they go live join in on all the fun it is the easiest way to be involved in your favorite shows talk to former players current players breaking news journalists other fans around the world whatever the possibilities are endless on spotify green room and it looks cool to boot now that it's spotify green room part of the spotify branch all you got to do is like is download and you can follow along on our rooms whenever I do one probably won't be this week I've got some reasons and I'll tell you that in a second but you should download anyway and follow along with us that way whenever I do make a room you can be notified Spotify green room changing the game okay so it hasn't been a great stretch for the Braves I feel like they're kind of mirroring me hasn't been a great stretch either so I apologize in advance to you doc and to the listeners that I feel like this might be my fault You'll have to forgive me. My son came down with Metz disease and uh, has been driving the rest of us crazy. No, I don't. That's not a real disease. Hand, foot, and mouth, basically. So, uh, any of you parents out there who have dealt with this, you know exactly what I am going through. Uh, and the Coco Melon songs are running through an endless loop in my head. Uh, big ups to camp. Ha ha ha, he he ho ho. You'll know what I'm talking about there. Um, and now it's all in, it's in all of your head, too. Um, but, Speaking about this, this eight-game stretch from the Braves, two and six is never what you want to go in an eight-game stretch. Um, now, granted, you're playing the Yankees, the Giants, and the Dodgers. The Yankees and Dodgers, the only two teams in baseball to have played better than the Braves in the second half. No shockers there. Both of those teams happen to have crusher-juggernaut lineups. No shocker there. The Giants, a first-place team for a while. The Braves handled their business there. They actually got swept by the Yankees, if you can call a two-game set of sweep, and swept by the Dodgers. But I'm going to be real honest here. I really don't feel that bad. I know there's the panic button is ready to be pressed at all times on social media, but I honestly I, I don't feel any worse. I actually feel kind of better leaving this little stretch than I felt going into it to be perfectly honest.
0: When you look at the actual outcome of the games, like game 1 of the Yankee series, they lost 5 to 1. That was fair and square. You just you lost that one. It happens. Second game of the Giants series, they lost 5 to nothing. You lose fair and square. But every other game for that was pretty close the second game of the yankee series was the freddie was safe game and you know bases loaded in the bottom of the ninth the the coin flip game that they actually won was the 6-5 game against the uh against the giants the friday night with jock making that that crazy catch in right field when will smith was trying to give it away but he was unsuccessful uh then the sunday game they just they just trucked the Giants nine to nothing so that one they they took fair and square and then each of the three games in LA you know they lost um three games by a total of four runs they were all within reach they had tying or winning runs on in a lot of cases and look loss is they a had loss late by the way I yeah
1: mentioned that they had leads late in two of the three games
0: and and it took Tyler Matzik coming off an unbelievable heater to to give up um at least game two, and I know that uh, he w- he was kind of participating uh, on the outskirts of the nonsense in game three as well. But when you look at these games, they go as losses in the loss column, and you never want that. But when you look at something from the perspective of, okay, we could see the Dodgers in the playoffs. We could see um, the Giants in the playoffs. Even though we took the series from them, it's, it's possible you could see it. And you look at it from the perspective of, if you put these same inputs in all things being equal you could see where every single one of those games would have gone the other way the Braves bullpen has not been infallible by any means but it's been really good what happened in LA has been an anomaly they're a great team they're an absolutely great team and you caught the Yankees when when they were in a really long hot stretch i think we were wins uh 10 and 11 out of 13 that they had you know so silver linings is that we were in most of these games so and like I said two and six is two and six and it sucks and the fact that the Phillies uh have won six in a row things are getting kind of tight in the division and I I understand why people would be feeling kind of nervous right now we are still far and away the best team in this division uh no matter what the standings tell you game and a half is not much uh and now we head into another series um which I, I I have plenty of things to say about the Colorado series, but I, I don't think that that's coming for at least another 9 or 10 minutes.
1: No, we got a, a lot to talk about here. So you're right with Philly streaking. It looks, it appears that things are tight, but no, I'm not worried. 17 of the next 20 are against teams under 500. I know the Rockies are good at home. We'll talk about that in a second. No, I'm not worried about the Rockies. I understand CJ Crone has played very well for them. Trevor Story's really good. That's it. That's all they got. Um, I'm not too worried, but Talking about the Braves and some things that the Braves have going on, one of the things that's going to happen as the Braves kind of get narrowing down here in September is the Braves want to ice this division as soon as possible because we've been running a few guys on a very, very long stretch of a lot of games. Dansby Swanson, Freddie Freeman, Ozzy Albies, who is somehow Superman and looks like he's probably playing tonight, uh, or at least he was working out in the outfield before the game. Uh, So after that scare of where it looked like he might have broken his kneecap, looks like he's fine and dandy. Um, even Austin Riley has played a lot of games. So it's time to start getting some of these guys some rest. Now that you have the horses on the bench to be able to give your outfield days off, time to start trying to do some of that for the infield as well. Uh, so you want to lock up the division as soon as possible. Again, not too worried about it, but the key point on the starting rotation, knowing in the playoffs that you're going to run a three man, maybe a four man rotation, Uh, that fifth spot kind of is superfluous. And good thing for the Braves because Drew Smiley... Now, credit to Brian Snicker on this. He did not really evade this question. He was pretty straight up and honest when they asked after that really rough game against the Dodgers um, in the first game of the series where he gave up a home run every inning for the first three innings, first four innings, I believe it was. um, Asked him what they were going to do about Drew. He mentioned Drew's dipping velocity. uh, And more importantly mentioned that um, they weren't sure what was going to happen with Drew. And then the next day, they announced Tukey Toussaint would be starting tonight's game and Drew Smiley would be in the bullpen. So credit to Snicker for that. And that is the right move, by the way. I know Smiley has at times pitched very well this year, but for the most part, he really hasn't pitched that great. I think the issue with Smiley is um, it's command-based. He doesn't have the stuff to miss on mistake pitches and not get hurt, especially when you play good lineups like the Dodgers who – Take your mistake, and rather than screaming a double down the line, hit it 500 feet. One through eight in their lineup, the Yankees do the same thing. These are the types of teams that you're going to play in the postseason, so you got to trim that fat before you get there. And it looks like the Braves are starting that now. Uh, I'll be excited to see Tukey. Uh, I think that that's a. I think I think it, Tukey should have won that spot over Smiley anyway, just for the simple fact of even if they're pitching similarly, Tukey's got the upside and Smiley doesn't. Not to mention. Smiley is very, very good and established out of the bullpen, whereas Tukey is not.
0: I've got to steal a thought from somebody that I saw on Twitter a long time ago, and I cannot remember who said this, but it was when Smiley was struggling a lot in the early part of the season. You know, he did have a, a couple of good starts in June uh, where it actually looked like he had kind of hit his stride a little bit, but now, like you said, with his velo backing off, and uh, he's just really losing effectiveness. But the point was... Part of the reason why the Braves gave Drew Smiley $11 million is because the way that he was effective last year when he was a reliever for San Francisco. And now, if if he's not being effective as a starter, the reason why is probably because you, you're not using him in the same way that he was effective. If you want him to be effective in the way he was effective in 2020, you have to use him in the way he was effective in 2020. So considering Josh Tomlin is now on the I.L., which... That's kind of one of those wink-wink, nudge-nudge, you're hurt, right, type of I.L. stents for me. Uh, oh, the, hey,
1: you're hurt. But I feel fine. No, you're hurt.
0: No, trust me, you're hurt. You have a ruptured success gland, and we could all see it. Uh, but, you know, so now, somebody who could fit into that longer role, you know, two, three innings, mop-up duty, one of those white flag things, like where if you see Josh Tomlin coming in, we are either really far ahead or really far behind, ideally— Um, I can see Smiley fitting into that role, and I can actually see him doing okay in that because his stuff isn't terrible when he's healthy. The velo is going to control everything because if he's just topping out at, like, 89, then you can pretty much just cut your losses and DFA him because you're not going to use him in the playoffs anyway.
1: Well, he's also just hit the same amount of innings, or just over an inning and two-thirds over what he threw in all of 2019. He's not a guy that's gone over 100 innings very often. To this point, he's gone over... Counting this season four times in his career. 2014, he made it 153 innings. That was his best season, 2.3 f 2016, 175 and a third. 1.8 his second best season. 2019, 114. That's when things started getting a little hokey. Was not good, negative 0.3. And then this year at 115 and two thirds, sitting at a 0.1 So he hasn't really been good. He's actually been pretty lucky. If you look at his ERA, it's at 475. His Pips at 534 um he's been giving up a lot of homers but again we throw 89 to 91 and you leave it middle middle or middle up uh it doesn't really matter if you're tipping your pitches or not major league hitters don't need that pitch tipped um so uh, credit credit to going ahead and moving him to this that's one of the things that you can tell when you get to be a good team and there's been some rumblings about this with jock we'll probably talk about that and how the outfield situation is kind of cracking itself up in a little bit but that's one of the things that really good teams don't do is they don't leave a guy in a position just because he was expecting that spot or because they paid him to be in that particular spot. If you're not performing well, then you got to go with what's there to win. And the Braves are a team that's in win mode, and you always want to take advantage of every chance you have. So the Braves aren't going to play that loyalty card, and I, for one, am fine with that.
0: Same here. I mean, it's September, dude. The season started in April. If you haven't figured it out yet, then I, I don't really think... Uh, you're gonna figure it out in the next month and rosters just expanded you know they just called up jacob webb they called up orlando arcia but he's not a pitcher so we're not gonna really dig into that and now that chris martin's on the il sean newcomb is back so you've got some options and at this point you know like you said we we are in win now mode um it's hard to tell over the last couple of games but uh for now you know the the gauntlet of the schedule is is kind of over and uh for right now the biggest focus should be one should be just holding on to the lead because even if we only win by one game then we still win we still win uh but also just get making sure everybody gets a little bit of rest and is able to just kind of not relax before the playoffs but but just take a quick little breather um and this year, as far as I know, they're going back to the traditional playoff format where there's actually going to be off days this year as opposed to last year, which is probably a really big reason why uh, the Braves fell apart uh, in the back half of the playoffs when because they, they, they were not architected to go deep in the playoffs last year, but they managed to. So as long as there's off days this year, then, you know, you will have uh, some incremental time off for some of these guys. But these guys are tired. They've been playing every day for the most part. You know, the, the lineup... Even though the order might change, for the most part, the these guys have been playing for five straight months. And yeah, I know they're getting paid a lot of money to do so, but that's physically taxing on the body. Everybody's tired, everybody's playing kinda hurt. Nobody's been a hundred percent since the second week of April. So for now, hopefully what they'll be able to do is just spread the workout, give everybody a, a quick little breather, like I said, and that will allow guys to be fresher when they come back on their incremental days off and just hopefully for the stretch.
1: And it kind of keeps them right. It keeps everybody – it gives – I don't – how do I want to phrase this? It gives them something to work towards because there's kind of this competing philosophy of do you want to be up by a ton closing out the season? Yeah, because it assures that you're going to the playoffs, but then it can also kind of affect your play. Or do you want to have to play some meaningful games down the stretch in September and have your guys stay kind of dialed in – to get it in the playoffs, so you go in dialed in. That's kind of that theory about why certain teams perform better when they're wild card teams than they do when they win divisions. Uh, it, 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 it takes all kinds, and everybody's a little bit different, and you kind of need to to bear all of that into consideration when you're figuring out what's the best way to dominate. And speaking of dominate. Spotify Greenroom is dominating the audio platform landscape. If you doubt me, download the Spotify Greenroom app on iOS or Android and get involved in it today. How did you like that little segue there, Doc? I Dude, that, that was s- pretty
0: so smooth.
1: Thought that was pretty professional. But talking about uh, talking about this Rocky series because uh, this is this is could it be a trap series? Um, I've seen some people talking about how the Rockies are 20 games over 500 at home and horrible on the road. No, I'm not worried because the, the Braves are a better team than the Rockies. They're a substantially better team than the Rockies. Uh, so, yeah, I get the Rockies play well at home. It's hard for a lot of pitchers to go in there. You have to completely approach pitching differently. When we had Mike Petriello on, we talked about that with him, about how it's different in Colorado because you don't see the same pitches. Luckily, the, the arms that the Braves have going out there for the most part, not very curveball-based. Tukey is, so I don't, I'm interested to see how his splitter is going to work tonight. But vertical pitches don't work as well in Colorado as horizontal pitches do, which means the Braves feel very good about Wascari Noah. You feel uh, Ian Anderson, we'll see. That one can be tricky. Matchup against Herman Marquez, that's, a, that's probably the premier matchup. Charlie Morton, I know I just said vertical drop's not big in there, but he's got a ton of horizontal on his uh, curve as well. Plus, that means his, his cutter will play up. So, overall, I'm not very worried The Braves have a really nice lineup to handle Coors. They hit a lot of fly balls. They have guys with a lot of power. And Coors helps provide a little bit of extra distance. Uh, So Chip Carey should have a lot of fun with this series. And yes, the Rockies have some guys that can hit for power. But really their lineup is C.J. Crone and Trevor Story and maybe Charlie Blackman. That's, That's really it on that roster. They don't have a good team at all. Their starting pitching is awful. Their bullpen is at best you could say okay, but they're pretty bad too. Uh, it's just not a good team, and I, I fully expect the Braves to go in there and take three out of four.
0: I hope so. You know, this when you look at the Braves team top to bottom, I mean, they just mash the ball. Even even without results, you know, you saw a million screaming missiles hit right at shortstops earlier in the season. Um, you know, this this is a team that, that is just built uh, for a place like Coors Field. So I personally am sad that I'm missing Jorge Soler's batting practice at Coors. Um, but I'm going to go I, ahead
1: and call that he hits two homers this series, by the way.
0: I I think I think that's that's probably um probably not too much of a stretch. And I think that coming off of the, the past couple games, you know, the, the Braves knew they, they had the last eight game stretch circled on the calendar all season long. And I think that they, they're looking at this as a chance to kinda of let loose a little bit. You know, the the guys that, that Colorado is throwing out there, you know, like you said, Marquez Marquez is one of the few guys that has really figured out how to pitch at Coors. It is just such a brutal place to pitch. And even if you're somebody like Austin Gomber, who was the the prize in the Nolan Arenado trade, he's not having a horrible year, but he's actually doing pretty well uh, pitching at Coors. And that in itself, that's something that, I mean, Colorado has never fully been able to put together a pitching staff of guys that know how to pitch at cores, which is, you know, you have to play to your environment, because the environment is going to be unflinching, you know, you can, you can learn a pitch, or you can learn ha- a, a methodology towards getting a result, right, like if I am Colorado's GM whoever that is now, because I know that there's still turmoil there, I I go to fan graphs I organize the chart by highest ground ball, right, but ground ball rate and I trade for all of those guys you Can know what I mean? Tell you
1: why that's not how I would approach it. Yes. So, like I said, in Colorado, pitches don't get the same vertical drop because there's not the same amount of friction because the air is thinner. There's not the same amount of friction running on those seams to make the ball drop. And everybody just assumes that you get a guy with a really good sinker. You get a guy who's got a lot of good downward action. Guys, you know, t- guys that are typically really good ground ball guys or guys with really big sinkers. Those pitches don't move as much in Coors Field. They just don't. And I think that part of the reason why the Rockies have kind of struggled with that is they've tried to go that route of just find heavy ground ball guys. The problem is when those pitches don't move and that 93-mile-an-hour that sinker, which is fine for a sinker, turns into a 94-mile-an-hour fastball that doesn't move, now you've just given a hitter an easy way to hit the ball out as Coors helps provide that. I would kind of go the opposite route. Find me guys that work up in the zone. Up in the zone, fastballs and work with sliders. Something that's a pitch that's going to break a lot in cores because the air is thinner, so there's not as much friction keeping the ball from breaking. It's more about your wrist break uh, in a, a high four seam fastball without the pressure and without without the friction to cause the ball to kind of drop. It's going to get un, it's, like hitters will hit it. You'll give up a lot of fly balls and that scares you there. But just like Richard Rodriguez kind of shows. It doesn't really matter if you're giving up fly balls, if you're not allowing them to square it up. And I think for the Rockies, I think that's kind of the way I would go. Guys like Marquez and John Gray, when he's going well, they're high strikeout guys. Honestly, I think that's the route that Colorado needs to take. I just, I don't know if they'll be able to go against the grain that much to actually think like that.
0: I got to tell you, that was even smoother than your transition into the Spotify green room ad. Um Man, that was good. No, that's uh that's a that's a really astute observation and that's something as a as a non-baseball player I probably never would have uh never would have put together just the difference between the uh like incorporating the wrist break and having that do the do the uh, the lion's share of the work. Um but as it pertains to this series, this offense, I think it's it sets up well. You know, they don't have any just overwhelming strikeout guys, especially the first two nights uh, with Chichi Gonzalez and uh, Antonio Sinzatella. Sinzatella doesn't walk a lot of guys either.
1: Sinzatella. it wasn't that long ago that we thought Sinzatella was going to be
0: good. I mean, he's he's all right, but he's not he's not what we thought he would be.
1: Let's just say I definitely like the Inoa matchup versus uh, yeah. Also, I also like that Tukey gets Chichi Gonzalez because Gonzalez gives up a lot of bombs. Six oh four ERA on the year for him, I believe it is. So you're right, this is a good this is a good matchup for the Braves offense. There's no there's no one pitch that any of these four starters for the Rockies throw that I think is something that would give the Braves trouble. Like there's no there's no Walker Bueller ninety eight mile an hour fastball up in the zone with that ridiculous curveball. There's no Max Scherzer insane six pitch arsenal with that crazy cutter. There's none of that here. It's like, there's a, guys that throw a fair number of pitches, but they're all fairly standard pitches. I don't know that I would grade any of them as, as a superb pitch. They're all more about the number of pitches versus how good those couple of pitches are. And that could be the Coors effect, but you don't really see that on the road with them either. So I feel good about it. And I, I'm, not, I'm not really worried. I know some people are. I'm, truly, I'm not. I will be shocked. Uh, I will be very shocked if the Braves don't win this series pretty easily.
0: You know what's really interesting about Colorado? like We were talking about Cronin's story. You know, C.J. Cronin was August Player of the Month. I mean, this guy. I love
1: C.J. Cronin, by the way.
0: Over the pat he's had five teams in five years, and he actually has exactly 100 home runs since the start of 20, 2017. He's a butcher on defense. All he does is defense. hit, man. Yeah. All he does is hit. And, and he wound up, he's playing first base for Colorado right now. And, you know, this is not a guy you ever want wearing a glove. But he's going to make some National League team very – it might be the Rockies – going to make some very National League team very happy next year. But when you look at Colorado's offense, what you think of is power. What you think of is is Coors Field. You know what I mean? Like, even guy Rafael Belliard is the type of guy that could hit to 16 home runs in a season in Coors Field. But the funniest thing about this is the Rockies are actually leading baseball in home batting average, and they've struck out less at home than any other team. So – and – their pitchers have also struck out less at home than any other team in Major League Baseball, which speaks more to professional hitters knowing when to change their approach when they go to an environment. Just put the ball in play and funny things happen, right? Exactly.
1: In a place like Coors, which by the way is also gigantic, it doesn't have to be a home run. If you get into that Bermuda Triangle out there, that's a mm -hmm. stand-up triple. It's like 424 at one point on that field. It's a gigantic field.
0: Yeah, I would love to see Colorado air in, like, a Cincinnati ballpark. You know, it might as well be 220 down the line. But, yeah, that place is humongous. And and you'll, you will see, it is not uncommon to see 500-foot home runs. I know that Story hit one out just, like, past the concourse. Was that last year or two years ago, whenever it was? You know, it's uh, – there could be some fireworks going on, especially since the Rockies pitchers give up. Uh, they've got 36.1% hard contact at cores. It's the second highest in MLB, and like, like I've been saying, this team can mash. Whether, I, whether want to see Jorge
1: Soler, I want to see Jorge Soler square up a 95er, middle up, and just watch how far the ball flies.
0: He had won 495 in Atlanta. I mean, that, that ball would have gone 600 in, in cores. You know, that was, that was massive. I, I couldn't believe it.
1: I mean, it's very exciting, and we're getting to the end of the show here. Uh, I know, haha, I said it. I went 23 minutes without saying it, so (laughs) screw you, Cam. Uh, But, yeah, Charlie pitched. And just real quickly on that Dodgers series one more time before I move on to making my final point about Charlie Morton, ironically enough, but it was in the Dodgers, it was in that start for Charlie that I really started kind of thinking about Charlie Morton and one of the things that that I find really impressive about him, and it's one of the things that I think – Uh, It doesn't get stated a lot, but it's one of the reasons why everybody is always looking for good veteran pitching. Not your run-of-the-mill journeyman veteran, but that guy that's a really good pitcher and a veteran and why it's such a complete package. And he kind of showed it in that Dodger start because Charlie and Max were both outstanding. And we talked about that, but Charlie with eight strikeouts, Max went pitch for pitch for Scherzer. Uh, had nine Ks in his six innings of work, gave up three hits, did give up a couple homers. One to Austin Barnes, which is unforgivable Max. Uh, but the other one to, uh, uh, was it Mookie? I think it was Mookie. Mookie kind of pulled it right down the line. And, and, you know, Max didn't get squared up too badly. I thought he pitched well. But for Charlie, one of the things that I think gets undersold with him and with a lot of these really good veteran guys is their uh, their willingness to put aside the ego and pitch to matchups. And what I mean by that, I'll explain. One of the hardest things in a competitive sport, not to mention like at the level that you're at when you're professional, is to intentionally kind of change the goalposts. So what I mean by that is every pitcher approaches every bat mano a mano. I want to beat this guy. I'm better than him. I'm going to show it. I'm going to sit him down. Well, that's not always going to be the case. And everybody when they come up i don't care like people talk about freddie being a super humble player and he might be a super humble guy i guarantee you that freddie thinks he's the best player on that ball field every time he steps between the lines unless jacob de and mike trout are on that field and he probably still thinks that too because you have to think that in order to have in order to be mentally strong enough to make it to that type of level to make it over all of those other insanely talented players you have to have that ego you have to have that I'm better than everyone, and I'm going to go out there and show you that I'm better. Well, in young pitchers, you start to see them get into trouble. This is one of the reasons why when, when we talk about things like playoff veterans and guys that have great playoff mindsets, I think that this is part of it. When a pitcher comes up and try, I can't remember what at-bat it was in the game, and it might have actually been Chip Carey who made the point a little bit, which, shocker of all shockers, but I can't remember if it was against Corey Seeger maybe against Muncie, I don't know, but he was kind of pitching around him a little bit, and, and Chip had brought it up, and you could clearly tell that Charlie wasn't going to give him anything in the middle, anything in the plate that the hitter wanted, and to me, that is such a different thing. There's, I'm sure there's young guys that kind of think like that, but young pitchers almost always are going to go stuff against stuff. They're not going to want to give in to a batter. They're not going to want to put somebody on base, an, un, an intentional, unintentional walk, so to speak, you're not going to see them want to do that. They're going to want to go there and show that they can do it. They get a little overeager, and they think, well, my stuff is, is great, and I love my stuff, so I'm going to trust it. And that's a great thing, too. But as you get older a little bit, like, like your Charlie, what happened is the guy that he was facing had a decent track record against him, a uh, guy that had big-time power, a guy that could hurt you. And Charlie did not want to lose to that guy because he had really good success against the guy afterwards who also wasn't performing that well. So you see him kind of work around this guy, and it's one of those things I think Glavin has talked about a number of times where a walk is not the worst outcome, especially when you're talking about in terms of uh, you want to make him earn it or or don't lose the at-bat. Losing the at-bat is subjective. And one of the things that Charlie does that impresses me so much and and some of those other really good veteran arms is they're willing to move what a successful at-bat is. It's not always just I have to punch this guy out or I have to get this guy out at this time. Sometimes it's I'm not going to let this guy be the one to hurt me he may if if he swings at my stuff and if he swings at my pitches and i get him out awesome if he doesn't that's fine i'll give him first base because there's a chance there's a higher chance that he's going to hurt me than the guy behind him and baseball when you break it down is a game of odds i mean if you know that a guy is hitting 100 against you that means there's a 10 there's a 90% chance you get him out 10% chance that he beats you That is a much better odd than somebody who's, say, hitting 400 against you. And then it's 60-40 whether you get him out. 60-40 is still odds in your favor, but not the odds you're really looking for. So when you see a guy who's been around long enough and has really good results and is just a superb pitcher with superb stuff like Charlie, and you see him able to adopt that mindset, that to me is one of the most unspoken things that I think makes veterans like that so valuable to the young pitchers on pitching staffs. That's... I would love everybody to learn Charlie's curveball, but that type of mentality, that ability to kind of set aside your own personal ego for a second to set yourself up easier down the line. Think of when Greg Maddox talks about giving up a home run to to Bagwell, to Jeff Bagwell, so that in the playoffs he could throw a different pitch and get him to swing and miss. That's one of the things I'm talking about here. Pitchers are not the same as hitters. Hitters usually take it per at-bat. When you're hitting, sometimes you might think, yeah, I'll take this pitch now so that later in the game he throws it to me again, but it's not all that common. Pitching, you always have to think one pitch ahead, one inning ahead, one at bat ahead, three innings ahead, two games ahead, things like that. So for me, I think that gets undersold with Charlie a lot, and I don't know if maybe I'm digging too much into it, but that's one of the things that I've seen him do consistently. We kind of saw Julio do it a little bit too, where Julio was never afraid to walk somebody, but it was for different reasons. For Julio, it was I don't have the stuff to get this guy out. Charlie has the stuff to get anybody out. But it's about whether it's worth the risk of this guy maybe beating you or I can put him there and attack the guy that I know I'm going to beat. So, I I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm just digging too deep into it. I don't know.
0: No, I I love it and that that's one of those things that uh, experience is uh, is really the best teacher. You know, and that's something Charlie is the the wily veteran of the staff and if you you look ever since ever since Anthopolis came over he's always tried really hard to have like that one uh, veteran anchor on the staff you know whether it's Charlie or uh Anibal Sanchez or you know he tried for Cole Hamels um but Cole Hamels is still just completely broken so you know and this is the type of thing that even if if Charlie were to try and explain that to I don't know we'll just use Ian Anderson because he's a he's a younger guy who's only been in the league for uh, which by the
1: way because Ian and Charlie are super tight. That's, that's the kind of thing that I want to see. I would love to see Ian with that mentality.
0: Well, and me too. But it's still one of those, one of those things where, let's see, Ian is 23, you know, and he's only been around for a year. And, and for his first year, I mean, obviously the, the sample size in 2020 was pretty small, but he was spectacular. Hasn't been as sharp this year, but, you know, it's second year growing pains. And he's learned a lot of things this year. Just through experience. It's like that Mark Twain quote. A man learns something by picking up a cat by the tail that he can learn in no other way. Ian Anderson is a fine pitcher, and he is going to, you know, when he is 37 years old, we will be speaking about him in the exact same glowing terms we speak in Charlie, but it just takes the time of getting there, and so Charlie had to have his brains beat in, and during the times that he was with the Pirates, and and still trying to put it together, the early time in his career when he was with the Braves, and you know it wasn't really until, you know, he it took him a long time to figure it out. So the lessons that he's got, you know, people remember their failures so much more significantly than they remember their successes, in a lot of cases. So what you see now is the product of somebody that got beat up a bunch and stood up, stood back up a lot.
1: And I think that's a, that's a great quality to have. And it's also one of those things that I think really, I think you're right. You can't really explain it to a young guy. But that's one of those things that if you're good enough, those young guys see that. That's part of the, that's one of those things. And you can, you can even see it with Max. You'll see Max do this a lot. If there's a particular hitter that, that just seems to mash Max, you'll see him kind of pitch around him. Max is not afraid to walk somebody. He doesn't want to, and you don't, you know, every time you hear that, it's, oh, don't give up the walk here, but it's kind of like the strikeout, where sometimes it's not the worst outcome that can happen. And if it's, if it's a better outcome than you giving up, if it's a higher likelihood that this guy's going to hurt you if he does make contact, and you have a, a fairly easy out behind him, it's almost like the eighth batter with a pitcher behind him mentality. of Well, I don't really care if I lose this guy, the pitcher's behind him. So you just apply that to the whole lineup, and, I, and it takes a lot of confidence, actually. To be willing to do that because you're intentionally putting yourself into danger to say yeah I'll get myself out of it too so just wanted to bring that up that's all we got time for today I don't know if you guys are feeling that way too but that's I'd mentioned it out locked on Braves I've been thinking about that for the last couple days and I really just wanted to have that conversation uh, to me that that that, that to me is, is something that I don't think of very often when I think of pitching uh, I still think of the go mano a mano beat them at their own game type of thing so uh, I appreciate when guys are able to put aside what they want to do and, and find the easiest path to success in a game that really all you're looking for is for the success you're not really everybody wants to do well personally but the great guy, the truly great guys that play for a very long time think of the team success first and their own success as part of that team success so yeah I'm super amazing and if I put up my numbers I'm gonna have a great year But if I put up my numbers and I play this way, I'm still going to have a great year and the team is going to be great. And that's what I like to see. That's why I'm a big fan of Charlie Morton. It's really what I want to boil down to. If Charlie wants to come back, Charlie can play for the Braves as long as he wants as far as I'm concerned until that cliff shows up under his feet and he falls off of it. So big fan of Charlie Morton. Excited to see Tukey tonight. We're getting close to start time, about eight minutes left. So we're going to go ahead and end the episode. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know I sound horrible. Uh, I feel worse than I sound, I can assure you. Hopefully I'll be back next week. With full energy, ready and raring to go, Doc. Thank you for joining me this week. I know it's not always easy, but always a pleasure talking to you, sir.
0: Oh, dude, this is the highlight of my week every week.
1: As it is mine and to everybody else out there. Enjoy the game. We got college football back again today. Go dogs on Saturday. Let's see. Let's get the Braves uh, three out of four and let, let's set the set the universe right again. Thank you guys so much. We'll be back again next week right here on the Platinum Sombrero. <music>